0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 51 of the Learning to Lead Podcast. I am so excited to be with you in 2015. Happy New Year to you. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year's time with your friends and family. I know I did. We had a wonderful time with our family and I spent a lot of time on my year-end review, which is my favorite part of the, of, of each year-end. And I just spend a lot of time reviewing and reflecting on the, the past year, on lessons learned, things I need to change and improve for the upcoming year. And then I spend some time setting goals for the upcoming year as well. And it's just an awesome, awesome, awesome time. And so, again, I hope you had a great finish to 2014. And I expect big things happening in your life in 2015. That being said, I'm so excited for you uh, to listen to this interview. I had the privilege of interviewing Rachel Cruz. If you're unfamiliar with her, she's the number one New York Times bestselling author and the daughter of Dave Ramsey. Uh, and basically, she learned the principles of handling money properly at an early age, obviously being Dave Ramsey's daughter. Uh, but now she's taken that on as a message of her own. And in the past year alone, she's delivered those same principles in a personal and passionate message of money and hope to more than 100,000 people across the country. And uh, this is just a phenomenal interview. And before we jump into it, I'll read her bio in a second. Um, I'd just like to thank you for listening to this podcast. I can't believe it's been 50, this is the 51st episode. Uh, it's been such a fun journey. Journey for me and I would just like to ask you personally for a favor if this podcast is added value to your life if you enjoy listening um, there's two things I just want to ask you one would you do me a favor and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes whether on your computer or on your iPhone app uh, that would be phenomenal it uh, it helps get the word out and so this podcast can reach more people and um, that's really my goal I just want to add value to people every day and so if you could do that on iTunes that would be great you can even let me know that you did it by tweeting me at Doug Smith live on Twitter and just letting me know that you did that. And the second thing I'd ask in I'll put a link in the show notes is to sign up for our email list, the Learning to Lead email list. We consistently send out great content and let you know about new episodes, upcoming events, and other ways that you can get involved with what we're doing. And as I said, there's a, a link in the show notes. and You can also sign up on my website on the right-hand side. There's a sign up at DougSmithLive.com. So thank you so much. That being said, let me introduce you to Rachel Cruz. Her bio, links to all of her social media accounts, uh, the questions I asked her, and uh, all of that. those things are in the show notes on the website so who's Rachel Cruz Rachel Cruz grew up learning how to win with money as Dave Ramsey's daughter she was taught from an early age how to give generously spend wisely and save for the future she understands the dangers of debt and she's seen firsthand the damage it can do now Rachel has a passion to help others learn the same principles and she's traveling the country doing just that Rachel's personable and an engaging speaker who's spoken at live events, major conferences, and professional organizations, showing people how to take control of their money and avoid big mistakes. Her message is simple, handle your money with wisdom. Rachel says, I feel very strongly about reaching people who need this message, and she's excited that her passions and strengths are being used to spread hope. She said, I am so happy that I can use the platform my dad has built to reach even more people. Rachel has a B.A. in Communication Studies from the University of Tennessee. She lives with her husband, Winston, in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, you're just going to love this interview. Rachel is high, high, high energy. I got so fired up just talking to her. Uh, But at the same time, she's so personable, so down to earth. And it was just a great joy to have the opportunity to interview her. So enjoy this interview. Uh, I hope that you'll pick up her book afterwards. My wife and I read it in the fall, and it really changed our finances. Uh, My wife had been asking me to do something with our finances for about two years, but it didn't make sense to me. And Rachel actually wrote one paragraph in her book uh, that that made a light bulb go off in my head and changed everything. And so I finally changed it, and so Laura is happy and uh, very happy. And uh, that happened as a result of reading this book. But she has great content. I think she'll add value to your life, your family's life, and she could change your financial future forever. So after this interview, uh, go go out and pick up a copy of Smart Money, Smart Kids. Enjoy the interview and we'll see you next episode. Well, Rachel, thanks so much for being willing to do this. And why don't we just start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself, what you're passionate about and your family and everything like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like kind of what I've been known for over the past couple of years is growing up as Dave Ramsey's kid. Uh, and so, grew up in a house where money was not obsessed over, but was talked about a lot. And and so, when I graduated from high school, and went to college. I think I I started realizing the lack of knowledge when it comes to my generation and money. And so, grew this really this passion and this heart for my generation and reaching them uh, to teach them about money. So, when I graduated from college four years later, uh, now it's been a couple. It's been almost five years. I've been traveling and, and writing and speaking and, and talking about the subject of money. So to high school students and college students, to young adults, to parents, um, as well as adults. So, so I'm kind of all over the map and, and really have this passion to help people uh, with their money and figure out how they can learn to control it versus it controlling them.
0: That's great. What's one thing people would be surprised to know about Rachel Cruz?
1: One thing they'd be surprised to know. Uh, uh, I'm left-handed that's a fun fact
0: <laughs> Nice. <laughs> um,
1: I'll say that I just I don't know if it would be a surprise but I, I'm thankful that I, I love what I do like, like my work I genuinely love it everyone's like what hobbies do you have what do you do for fun and I have some of those but, but majority of my time is spent on work and, and I'm thankful for that because
0: I really do love what I do that's great. So tell us, give us an overview of your book. I actually heard you and your, your dad come and speak in Pittsburgh, loved it, read the book. Uh, and a lot of my questions today are based out of that. But why did you write the book? And give us a 30,000-foot view of the content.
1: Sure. Well, Smart Money, Smart Kids came out in April and it debuted number one on the New York Times sellers list. So it was an instant hit, and we were so thankful for that very cool thing. Uh, and it's really a book t- targeted to parents about teaching them how to teach their kids how to handle money, so, so dad and I co-authored it together and dad speaks at it as really the parent, that's his perspective in the book, and perspective is of the kid and, and what it was like growing up uh, in a household where money was taught and valued. And so that, that's really it. I mean, we go through everything from teaching your kids to work, give, save, spend, budget, staying away from debt, going to college debt-free, contentment, I mean, all these subjects around money we talk about in light of, of helping parents teach their kids. And so kind of the perspective, I feel like, is, is dad is the emergency surgeon. You know, he helps people get out of debt and, and climb out of these mistakes that they've made. And I see myself and my message as the preventative medicine. That For parents, if you teach your kids, you know, they're not going to be perfect with money, but they're they're able to avoid so many money mistakes uh, because they learn early. So that, that's right the gist of the book and, and i think we've empowered a lot of parents across america uh to, to show them how to everyday life uh and teach their kids these values
0: that's awesome so i want to unpack a few of the things you talk about in the book and the first thing i wanted to ask you about was work ethic uh so i'm curious you know you talked a lot about the value of work how did you learn how to work hard and, and why is that so important that young people learn to work hard
1: yeah well, i think that there's a lot of principles when it comes to just this idea of working i mean on the tactical side learning that money comes from work, that money doesn't come from mom and dad's back pocket, that that's where money comes from. I think that's one step with parents and 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 mom and dad growing up, you know, we were never given an allowance, we were never money, we were always on commission. Mm -hmm. So you work, you get paid, you don't work, you don't get paid. And and so there were some chores we did because we were part of the family, and we didn't pay on those, some We, we did get paid hence the commissions. So, and so I think for mom and dad, it was important to teach us and prepare their kids that tactical principle that that's where money comes from. Money comes from work. And also the sense of dignity that's instilled in a child when they learn to work and they can complete a task. I mean, even a four-year-old, you know, when they clean up their room, they're not cleaning up their room I and mean, they're four years old, right? So mom and dad are doing most of it and they're putting away a few toys. But but at the end of that, they get to look at this clean room and it's the sense of a you you give them a sense of dignity that they that they had a goal and they set it and they went and accomplished it. So there's just so many great layers of foundation that that, that is placed into in this idea of work ethic. And and sadly that's in a lot of people in this coming generation, and so they're struggling now as adults. And so that, that's a hard thing to see.
0: Yeah. I love the line you said in the book where you said one of the best things about teaching the child the value of work is that she or he will lose respect for people who refuse to work. I love that.
1: Yeah. That's right. When they're picking their future spouse, so hopefully they'll pick someone who, who will be a hard worker as well and won't mooch up of you as the law <laughs> Karen?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm curious on, on the work ethic side, work-life balance. I actually heard your dad speak in the, the entree leadership thing, and he, he would say, you know, if a new book was coming out, he would tell the kids, hey, for 40 days you're not going to see dad. And that kind of blew my mind and I know he works hard, but, but how did that impact you as a child? And now that you're about to have a child and, and raise your own family, you know, what advice would you give to work-life balance? Cause I know your dad was said, basically he, he thinks it's a lot of crap thinking that there's a of
1: balance. <laughs> yeah, that's his quote. He's like, there's no sense of balance. Cause you're never going to be balanced. Every season is going to be different. So there may be a season where you're driving hard and, and it's work focused. And for me, you know, now it's, It's usually September through November is my travel season. And then in the spring, it's about February through May. And and we know, Winston and I, we know those months, that that's my travel time. And that's when I'm going to be gone you know, we, we've cut back a little bit with my travel. The first two years we learned that, okay, we have to stay married and I can't be gone, you know, you know, 60 days every, every year constantly. So, so, so we, we've made priorities within that. And I've tried to be home, you know, a certain number of nights and and gone only a certain number, number of nights. So we can work my schedule around that a little bit, but, but we know that there's busy seasons and we know that there's free seasons. And so, yeah, with a, with a child coming up, probably the first couple of years, I'll cut back some on traveling and speaking. And as as she gets older, you know, I'll have more flexibility with that. But but I think that, yeah, this idea that you're going to have this perfect balance in your life, it's not true. Now, obviously, you want to do what you value in life. And the things that you value, you want to put first and foremost. But sometimes those things may suffer a little bit because work comes into play. So just like you said, when Dad went on his book tour, you know, he was gone for about two months. And, and he set us down, and we talked about it. And honestly, I don't know if it really affected me that much. <laughs> to stay but I think I was in middle school I kind of had my life going you know I think I think they preempted it and communicated it so well on the front end that this is what we should expect that it wasn't like this this whiplash of like oh it's been two weeks I haven't even I haven't seen dad you know where is he you know it was nothing like that because I think we were so prepared emotionally and mentally because we talked about it on the front end and and so yeah uh I honestly don't even really remember remember that time which is horrible he'd probably be like what You didn't miss me? But... <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> hilarious um, last question on the work ethic. So you opened your own business when you were a teenager, which is awesome. Uh, in your experience, do you think entrepreneurism is something that's just a certain wiring and you're born with? Or would you encourage every every young person to start a business and they can just learn to do it?
1: Yeah, I, I, either or. I mean, I think that I learned so many lessons as a teenager. Yeah, my sister Denise and I, we opened up a little snack business uh, at Dad's office. And so we learned a lot of things through that. I mean, you learn to, you know... Take care of customers, figure out their wants, what you know, what they're not liking, putting the price point in place. I mean, you learn a lot of great things that you can take with you in life uh, to be successful. And so Denise is now a stay-at-home mom, but I'm sure there's things that she learned through your Integrity Snacks, our little business as high schoolers. You know, that as a mom, she probably appreciates it. And, and, and so I think that, you know, I think it's a good exercise for teenagers to do, but I think it is in your wiring uh, just like Denise, she wasn't, like, overly passionate about it. I probably had a little bit more zeal uh, with it than she did. She probably could more or less take it or leave it. Uh, so I think it is I think it is in your wiring uh, to kind of step out there and do something. But, again, I think for teenagers to work, period, whether it's a mall job or they're, you know, waiting tables or they're opening up their own business, there's great things to learn through all of that. But the key is working. So teenagers need to be working and have a job.
0: That's good. All right, a few questions on money. So you're naturally, you said, a, a spender, of free spirit. How did you le- learn to deal with that responsibly and not be impulsive, and what advice would you give to other free spirits out there?
1: <laughs> Probably through a lot of mistakes. <laughs> That's <laughs> how I learned. Uh, I I think I've learned to uh, rein it in because I, I know – um, you know, the knowledge part of me, The my mind knows that there are things that I need to do to be wise in general. So that is things like saving and putting money away for retirement, you know, things that is so hard uh, for a free spirit to consider or live on a budget, you know, these things that I know I should do. And, and when I play it out in my life, my life is enhanced, you know, like the budget, like that's not a normal bent for us free spirits. Uh, the nerds, my husband he enjoys it. he loves being controlled by the budget. it makes him feel great you know but for for me it was it was always harder to get on board but but once I have got on board, you know it really it, it benefits you in so many ways and I think it's just a part of being wise and so you know on you know actually I'll be honest, this last month we did not do it and we didn't pull out our cash envelopes and, and I felt the free spirit you know I felt like Oh my gosh! Like I, I want it back. Winston, like I'm ready for like the beginning of November to hit, and I'm ready to like get our cash back out and do the whole thing. And so, I, it really has helped me. And I think it's a little bit of maturity too, of growing up and realizing, okay, I can't have everything I want when I want it. I can't have this instant gratification constantly. I have to be wise. I have to step back and plan and do those kinds of things. So. I think it's, it's a mixture of both, of failing and, and regretting stuff, and, and probably just growing up and realizing what really is important financially and what do you need to stick to.
0: That's good. Now, can you just talk about going to college debt-free for young young people going to college? I never heard about that until I heard you come and speak, and I was, when I first heard you were going to speak, I'm like, really? That's possible? But then when you explained it, I thought it was amazing. Can you just share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is one line that I believe, uh, you know, this next generation, or really my generation, has believed that you can't go to college without taking out a loan. And, and it's simply not true. I mean, if you if you make smart decisions on the end, you are able to go debt-free. So the main thing is college choice. So many people go to a school that they simply can't afford, whether they step over the state line, pay three times as much, or they go to a private school, whereas they're going to the school that they simply can't afford. And so if you don't have a lot of money saved up, Stay in state. That in-state tuition is such a blessing. Take that, or go to a community college for the first year or two. I mean, you know, if you've gone to college, you know that first year is is your foreign languages, your histories, your sciences. It's all your prereqs. So do that at an inexpensive community college, and majority of the time, your credits transfer right over to a big four-year university. And make sure they do before you take those classes. But but that's always a very simple solution. And. And another way to go to school debt free is applying for scholarships and grants. This is free money. And I've heard countless stories of students doing this. And just because of their persistence of filling out these forms, writing the essay, you know, they, they get this free money. And, and students make a mistake when they think like, you know, well, that's a $200 scholarship. I'm gonna skip over that. That's, that's, that's a drop in the bucket compared to my $40,000 tuition. And, and I tell them, but if you fill out that form and it takes you 20 minutes, you know, to fill it out and you get that $200 scholarship, you make $200 in 20 minutes. You know, what I mean, it's just, yeah. it's crazy the amount of money you can have in such a short period of time. So, so that, and then lastly, working, of course, uh, research has shown us that the average college student works 20 hours a week. They can pay their way through an in-state school. So by your college selection by scholarships and grants and working all of this together, you still can go to school today. Debt free.
0: That's awesome. And next question, I want to thank you on behalf of my wife. So my wife and I are debt free, but on the credit cards, we would still use credit cards just for expenses, but I always thought it was okay to pay off last month's expenses. I'd always pay off the balance, but just the next month. And so I always thought that was fine. And it like drove my wife crazy. And, uh, And she would tell me all the time, but then for whatever reason, I read a few paragraphs in your book about that specifically, and and a light bulb went off. I'm like, I get it. And then she just rolled her eyes. She's like, finally. But she was so great
1: It took a third party to convince you. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: right. So I guess beyond just paying off all debt, can you talk about that specifically and just credit cards? That'd be great.
1: Yes. Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, Number one, we find that you actually statistically spend less when you spend with cash, and so it's amazing when you're spending your own money, you're going to spend less. And then another thing is that, you know, people that do exactly what you said, you know, that, that they just, well, they, they go through the month and they just charge everything and they pay the balance off at the end of the month. What ends up happening is, is that they're not being intentional with their money. Usually those people are not living on a budget. They're not being intentional. And so it's amazing how much money is wasted and kind of how out of control you get, even though you can pay the balance off and you, and you pay it off every month you're still spending so much more money when you're not budgeting. And so, so it's an amazing – it's kind of a, a mindset as well. So when you're, when you're swiping your debit card or paying cash, it's amazing the, uh, the emotion that's connect, connected to that because it's your money coming out of the account.
0: That's great. And then last money question. Talk about buying a house. And so my wife and I have been married for two years or renting. Uh, you know, what, what advice would you give to young couples that are looking to buy? When to buy? What do you need to do to prepare? Curious to sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll say buy when you're ready to buy, you know, the market recently, you know, it's gone up and down. It's so everyone's like, it's the best time to buy a house, buy a house, buy a house, buy a house. I'm like, well, no, if you don't have the money to buy a house, you don't need to buy a house. doesn't matter how the market's doing. I mean, obviously that would work in your advantage, but, but, but you need to buy a house when you're ready to buy a house. So we always say to have, uh, at least 20% down on the down payments, do no more than a 15 year, you need to do a 15 year fixed rate mortgage. And your monthly payment on your mortgage should be no more than 25% of your take-home pay. And so that's that's kind of the formula that we do. So when you can find that, uh, and those are conservative numbers. When you run those numbers, a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, that's really conservative. But our goal is for you to be debt-free completely. So what ends up happening is people go and get a massive mortgage. You know, they put nothing down. They get a terrible mortgage, and and they they end up keeping this house for 30 years because they have a 30-year mortgage, and they they keep the, the mortgage on it for that long. And so it's amazing the amount of interest you end up paying over a 30-year mortgage versus a 15. And you want your house to be a blessing to you and your wife. You know, everyone wants that. It's amazing how many houses turn into curses. People get too big of a house and too much and it ends up stressing them out. And this house becomes a curse rather than a blessing. So, so running those numbers, it's kind of our formula for buying a house. But, but it's a great thing. And that should be a goal, I believe, is to be a homeowner one day. But renting is not a bad thing. Renters have gotten like a bad rap. You know, they're like they're throwing their money away. You know, the way that people talk about renters is crazy. But renting is very, very wise. So, you know, if you don't have the, the money for that down payment yet, yeah, it's okay. You know, rent for a little while. That 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 saves you a lot of time, and and again, it's wise because you're slowing down that process.
0: That's excellent. All right, transition into a new topic: choices. I'm a, I cried when you brought out the rope and told the rope story, and when you did <laughs> yes. amazing. Can you just share that? I love it. I think everybody, every family in America should do that. Yeah. We'll talk about how you learn yeah. to make choices. Yeah. Growing up,
1: mom and dad uh, kind of used this analogy of a rope uh, for their parenting style. So the idea is kind of that we were tied to one end of the rope, and they had the other end. And so depending upon how well we made decisions in life in all areas, money, you know, f- picking friends, just, you know, where, where we are as teenagers, all of that, the, the, how well we made decisions, the, the quote unquote more rope we, we received. So the more freedom we had to make more and more of our own decisions. But if we made a bad decision, they would pull the rope back in. And so this rope conversation, you know, is constant in our house. And so when my sister Denise was graduating from high school and going to college, Uh, that night at dinner, you know, it's always a big, a big deal when the first one leaves, right? So we had this huge dinner. It was like this nice night. And, and toward the end of the dinner, dad brought out a gift bag and pulled out a white rope. And he had different ribbons around the rope, different colored ribbons tied that symbolized different areas of her life, like her academics, uh, uh, her purity, her spiritual walk, things like that. And so, he told her, you know, that Denise, our, our rope that we have left in our hands, doesn't reach from Nashville, Tennessee to Knoxville, Tennessee, where she was going to school. And so now her day to day decisions, they're they're up to her. You know, there's no more rope lengthening or shortening like it's all hers. So he handed her this visual of a rope and yeah I told the yeah I told the story, and I was like, you know, we all cried, and we're like, Denise has the rope, and she's never coming home. You know, it was like this, <laughs> this moment in our family, and and so we laughed because I was not, you know, I was given like a crappy rope, and Daniel didn't even get rope, I don't think. So like the tradition definitely faded. you know, the first child got got the good stuff. but but, yeah, but it was a great analogy for us kids growing up was this idea that you know, so many teenagers or preteens say, you know, I want to be treated like an adult. Just treat me like an adult. And they would say, well, then act like one. And yeah. when you act like an adult and you make wise decisions and you take on responsibility, we can give you more and more. And so, yeah, that that was a big thing for us to kind of see, okay, you know, our freedom is attached to how well we respond and make decisions in life. And that's such a blessing, you know, that conversation now. I mean, I look back on that. I'm like, that was such a brilliant analogy that they used, And it was just, yeah, it was great. So so the rope story, it's become legendary. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I, hopefully my wife and I do that when we have kids. I love it. Yeah. Um, few minutes remaining. I actually want to talk to you about writing and producing content. Obviously, you do a lot of that. See everything you put out on Facebook and everything. Uh, what did you learn through the process of actually writing a book? What you know? How did you grow as a writer? What did you learn through that whole journey? And what advice would you give to, to people who want to write?
1: Uh, I learned that I'm not a great writer. Um, <laughs> that it's very hard. Some people are very naturally gifted in that way. And, and I learned really the distinction because I had been speaking for years and years and years and years. And I would write some, you know, uh, but not, you know, a book, you know, was such a big, a big goal. And so I learned that the spoken word is much different than the written word. And so, so I started out writing just what I would say out loud. I would, you know, type on my computer and that would be the chapters. And we have a, a wonderful team here in Nashville that help us. So, God bless the editors and the people that looked over my stuff because they were like, "Okay, Rachel, this is crazy." You know, <laughs> uh, they helped me a lot, so I cannot take full credit. They really, they really did. But, uh, but yeah, for me, I mean, it was it was kind of a, a practice thing, and it was a diligence of of sitting down and putting these words out. And it just took time, and it takes energy too. Uh, some chapters, you know, just flew out and it was really, really easy, but others, you know, you look at that blinking cursor on your laptop and you're like, you know, you know, it's due in 48 hours, the content team. And you're just like, oh my gosh. So it, it's hard. It, it's not a natural thing for me. I will say that I'm, I'm not a natural. i much, I love this kind of thing. I love, you know, talking and video and speaking that that's much more of my gifting than sitting down and writing.
0: Do you have more books in you? I think
1: so. <laughs> yes, you
0: should. Yeah, it's
1: great. Yeah, we're we're in talks with some. So it's been really my I do a video blog twice a week, and that's been a great outlet for me to have this short short form content. And so I've been able to take those and do the written pieces. You know, and, and with this book, uh, a new book, you know that that hopefully will be will be coming out here in the next uh, two years or so. You know, a lot of that will come, but it's uh some people enjoy it you know and that and it flows out of them very naturally and they're very good at at writing but it, it takes a lot of work for me
0: yeah so same question when it comes to speaking so it sounds like you're a lot more comfortable with that but I'm just curious how you and your whole team grow and develop a speaking how do you challenge each other to get better how do you become world class obviously you guys do it a lot so
1: yeah I think a couple of things one is just the reps is what we call it is just doing it over and over and over and over and at the beginning you know people that have you speak you know you're they don't they don't pay anything They're in the, you're in the middle of nowhere in some random town in nebraska you're not hating on nebraska but like you know <laughs> just in this random place you know with these you know with 15 people uh, and that's how you start out, and that is where I started out. And my my speaking story was interesting because I would travel with dad in high school and speak <laughs> at his big events.
0: Oh, awesome!
1: So I would, you know, I learned on a stage with you know four thousand people. I think was my first event. So so I I did that through high school, and you know I I had like a ten minute thing. It wasn't very long, but I had you know stories and jokes, and I you know I loved it.
0: Were they and, you know,
1: your jokes? Was,
0: what? Were they your jokes, or were they pre written?
1: uh they were my, i came up with them i did the top 10 reasons why it's tough to be dave ramsey's kid so <laughs> I, I i made a list and i delivered that that's fantastic <laughs> and so but when i went on my own speaking after college i had a rude wake-up call of like okay obviously not many people are impressed with rachel cruz they're impressed with dave ramsey because he you know he fills auditoriums me no i'm in the middle of Wyoming with 13 people, you know what I mean? Like, but, but that's where you start out. And so I did that for years. So, but, but the idea is that you get better at how many times you do it. It's amazing. Uh, the confidence that's built, you know, what jokes work, you know, what stories work, you, you develop content, and so delivering it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Uh, you learn a lot through that. And then number two is brutal and it's miserable. Everyone hates doing this, but it's the best teacher. It's videotaping yourself and watching it back because you are your worst critic and you're going to watch yourself and you're going to cringe and hate every minute of it. And you're like, why do I do this? This face is crazy. You know, that, that what I'm doing with my hands is so annoying. I mean, you just, you learn so much when you watch yourself. But for, so for the first probably three years, I think Dave wants us to do it more and we, we <laughs> I, don't. I, I probably should. But. But for those first couple of years of speaking, I videotaped on a little flip cam I got, I got off of Amazon. I put it in the back of the room huh. and I taped every speaking event I had.
0: Wow!
1: And I would go back and I would watch it on the plane on the way home. And that's a brutal teacher right there. That'll teach you a lot.
0: That's great. <laughs> yeah. Two minutes, two last questions, kind of personal. I know you're young, but looking back on your life one day, at least at this point in your life, what do you want your legacy to be?
1: Oh, that's great. Um, I want my legacy to be one of, I'm thinking for my kids, you know, I have a little girl. So for her, I mean, I would want her to know that, uh, that she had a mom who uh, did what she loved to do everything from parenting to her job and that and that she can be and do whatever she wants to be. And, and I feel like that this generation has gotten sprinkled that message a little too much. So there's some reality to it. But but you know, just just letting her know. So I want my legacy to be one that you know you're you're able to go and accomplish so many things, and it doesn't matter your your age or uh, where you're at. You know, whether it's financially or with your career, but that like, you can do so many things. You just have to be make wise decisions. You may, you have to go at a slower pace, uh, but it's amazing things you accomplish if you if you have a goal and you stick to it.
0: That's good. And then, what can me or anyone listening to this podcast do to serve you and what you're doing? Uh-huh.
1: Very nice. Um, I mean, I would love for you to just follow what I'm doing and kind of jump on board. I love people spreading this this message that people have a passion of helping people with money, of sitting down with young couples or a single mom who's having money troubles to – you know, if you hear about that, you know, pulling them aside for a few minutes and, and, and helping them, that, that would be a paying it forward. But, you know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, uh, RachelCruise.com. I have video blogs and content every week. So, so follow along, you know, what I'm doing. And, and if you love it and you have a passion for it, you know, pa- pay it forward and help me spread this word of, uh, of gaining control of your money so that it doesn't have to be a stress point in your life.
0: That's great. Anything else you want to leave us with before we go?
1: No, this has been great. Thank you, Doug. I yeah. really appreciate you having me on. I All really right. do. Thank no you problem. so Thanks much. No problem. for
0: everything you do. Appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. All
0: right. Have a great
1: night. Yeah, you too, Doug. Thanks. Bye.